Hey guys, welcome to the Improvement Podcast, where young men get help to develop their character, identity, and mindset in order to activate their potential and achieve their goals in life. Today's special guest is Nika Kabiri, a decision science specialist, best-selling author, consultant, contributor, and University of Washington professor. Welcome to the show, Nika. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad that you could come on the show today. And so I guess before we hop in, uh, what would you like for the audience to know about you? Um, well, that like you said, I'm a decision science specialist. So I spend um, all of my time um, thinking about how people make choices, um, how they make choices the right way or how they should make them, and also how those choices go wrong. So a lot of the stuff that I do, a lot of the work that I do is around like where we mess up and how we get on the wrong track. Okay, okay. All right. And so I'm really excited for today. So just based on what we have outlined, I think we're going to touch on some really good topics. And so I guess you could say the theme for this episode is exercising your agency and something that I guess is a little bit different from probably what your usual work would be is that instead of talking about the decisions that people do make, we're kind of taking the angle in this episode, we're talking about the decisions that people don't make, the things that people don't do. And so I guess the first thing that we could go ahead and hop into is bad habits and to kind of give an idea of what I'm talking about. And this is something that I'm sure that you're extremely well versed in because of your book. But uh, managing money is one of the first ones that comes to mind uh, for young men. And so what are your thoughts on that? What are some uh, different things that you've noticed from the people that you talk to, the research that you've done? And what are some applicable tips you think you could give to young guys that will help them to be able to solve their issues they might be having with managing their money? Yeah, I think a lot of um, a lot of the decisions that young men, I guess young people make around managing their money um, comes from knowing what other people are doing. I think we talk to other people or we pay attention to what people in the media are talking about and we kind of tend to follow along and there's nothing judgmental about that. I mean, it's human nature to wanna to follow what we call, and so the social sciences, we call it the bandwagon effect, where if a majority of people are doing, are into crypto suddenly, then we feel like, okay, we got we got to do this, right? Because everybody else is doing it. And, everyone can't be wrong, right? right. Or um, our friends are all buying homes and investing in real estate. Well, oh my gosh, now I have to go buy a home. Like, because if everybody else do, does it, it can't be wrong. But in reality, a lot of these um, bandwagons may, may work for others in the majority or may work in, uh, for others in the bandwagon, but may not work necessarily for you. So um, it's not necessarily the case, for instance, that everyone should own a home. It's not the best investment for everyone. Um, crypto is not the best investment vehicle for everyone. I agree. Uh, yeah, for most people, it's it's very risky. It's not backed by a lot, um, if anything. And and so I think like what we, um, my, my co-author Tony, Anthony Sablon and I write in, in our book, Money Off the Table, which you can incidentally get at, on Amazon. It's called Money Off the Table, Decision Science and the Secret to Smarter Investing. But what we talk about a lot is just trying to identify what your, your personal goals are in life. And then, you know, what does your retirement look like? And then look back five years from there. What is right before retirement look like? And then just keep going backwards. And then once you know what your goal is and you can set the right saving strategy for that goal, and you won't be as likely to, you know, fall prey to any kind of trend or bandwagon or anything right. that, that goes along. Right. Yeah. So just to make sure I'm understanding correctly, it seems like what the main problem is for young people is maybe peer pressure, seeing their peers doing different things and thinking that because they're along the same age that they have to 
uh, be progressing at the same rates. So I think from what you said, it kind of seems like the first thing. And then also maybe just not having a, a defined plan, if that makes sense, because the thing about it, at least how I would think of it, and from how I've kind of managed my own finances, is that whenever you have a defined plan, you make sure you hit certain checkpoints before you make decisions. Like, let's say if you wanted to invest in crypto, you at least make sure that you have this much in savings uh, that's not going to be invested in the market. So that way, in case anything goes wrong, you don't lose all of your money, as opposed right. to the guy who just got out of school, maybe in like his first week on the job, and pretty much put his whole signing bonus into, into Bitcoin, right? <laughs> right, right. You want to, it's called diversifying your portfolio. It's playing it safe. Um, I think an analogy we use in our book a lot because Tony and I both, the way that we met was through um, an MMA gym that we both trained at. And so we, we ki he kind of likes to employ in his um, strategic approach to savings and in retirement, uh, a kind of an MMA approach where you have an offensive kind of, you know, approach. And then you also have a defensive plan. You know, you, you, you try not to get hit or taken down while you're trying to take the other guy down. Um, and I think in investing, if you think about an offensive plan, which is being um, investing in things that could earn you money and could really grow your money, but then also having um, investments in other vehicles that may not grow as dramatically, but aren't susceptible to those fluctuations in the market. Um, so even just a regular savings account might be an example of that. Um, getting an insurance, um, um, a life insurance policy that has like a, an investment vehicle attached to it might be something that's worth it to you to look at. Um, investing in a money market might be worth looking into. So you don't, you kind of want to play with money and then you want to have like a security blanket. And I think a lot of people think about their returns. They think about like, how much am I going to make if I, if I invest in crypto, I could I could potentially make a lot, but right. you could also lose it all. You know, you don't want to think about the positives only. Um, you, you kind of, I think we, our brains tend to be a lot more hopeful, either hopeful or fearful. It's like one or the other. Yeah, you know? I agree. And uh, I think one thing about it is that, you know, I wish that it was trendy to do the responsible stuff too. you know, crypto and all that and the fast returns and everything is trendy. And that's why you hear about it so much. Right. And that's why a lot of people feel the need to jump into it, even when they may not be ready for it. So I think that's something to bring up. But then also you talked about um, when you had talked about the crypto before. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I just lost my train of thought. No, that's okay. No, okay. okay. If you don't mind, I'm just going to jump in here because I think what a lot of people, what a lot of young men, I think, might not think about because they're young, but that they should think about is what do they want to leave their kids? I think when you put it in that perspective, it kind of changes for a lot of people because young men aren't thinking kids. Like if you're straight out of college, you're not thinking about having children. You're not thinking about getting married. You're just thinking about getting a job, having a career, maybe dating around, um, having some fun. And that's totally typical, totally normal. But that's the time when you should be starting to invest for your kids that you're gonna have 10, 15 years down the line. That's when you start. And sometimes it's really hard to think about your long-term plans and you're instead thinking about your money in, in the short term. So I really, really encourage those young men who know they want to have families one day. They may not know who they want to marry. They may not even know what she's going to be like. They may not know how many kids they want, but they know someday in the back of their minds, they're going to want kids. Like, do you really want to 
do you really want your kids to have to work as hard as you are working to get to where you want to go? Don't you want them to have a little bit better? And when you pass away, don't you want to leave them a nice chunk of money so that they don't have to work until they're 65? They can retire at 40 if they want. And then their kids can retire even earlier. I mean, isn't that, wouldn't that be awesome? And yeah. if you think about those long-term rewards, it becomes a lot more meaningful. Like, okay, that's what I'm saving for. Like, I'm not like saving for a trip to Europe to blow my money or to go to Vegas. I'm saving for that future. And it kind of puts things in perspective a little bit. I agree. And what's interesting is that more guys don't think about that. And honestly, I can say that at first, I wasn't thinking about that whenever I was going through college. And it was probably because I just didn't see an example of that in my upbringing. I think one of the things is that like a lot of the guys that might have that on the radar and might start doing that type of stuff, they might've had good influences around them that were fiscally responsible that told them to do those sorts of things and help to build those habits. But I guess when you're coming from backgrounds where your family may be making money, but they aren't necessarily being responsible or smart with their finances, that kind of gets passed down that same attitude. And then it kind of creates this continuing cycle. Would you say that's part of it too? That is, that is an excellent point. And I know um, like Tony says this all the time too. You should have him on your show sometime too. But um, he talks about this a lot too, where we learn from our parents what money means. We learn from our upbringing what 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 savings mean. And some of us grow up in families where we just kind of um, we just kind of are raised, especially like Tony and I. We neither of us grew up with a lot of money. Like we were both, you know, our parents had to struggle. We had to struggle to get to where we are, and. Um, and so we just didn't kind of, we weren't raised with this idea or instilled with this idea that we would have to like, we could ever be wealthy or we could ever invest. So you just kind of don't try. Um, you kind of in internalize that idea of, you know, I'll never amass wealth. I'll never be that. I'll never be a Warren Buffett or a Jeff Bezos, but that's not your goal anyway. You're just trying to provide a comfortable life for yourself and your family and your kids and your future. And anybody can do that. It doesn't matter how your parents raised you or what background you come from. If you start saving even like a hundred bucks a month from your paycheck, you know, over time that will accumulate. And if you can invest more and more, you're going to be fine. And, um, and yeah, to, to not let those messages of what money means or who you are in the whole space of wealth, right? Like, well, I'm not, I'm not a rich, I'm never going to be a rich person. It's like, okay, well, you could be a comfortable person. <laughs> you could be a rich person. <laughs> yeah, don't you always have could. to be rich. Yeah. Yeah, you could be okay. You could be you happy. Still have savings. Totally, and and investments, and you can retire to where you don't have to keep working. You know, two jobs until you're like some people I know working two jobs until they're seventy because they really don't know how they're going to retire, and that's not where you want to be. I agree, and I think one thing about it too is that, in a way, it's easier just to indulge and not build that discipline to even try and get to those levels that the people have the self-defeating ideas about than it is to actually do it. I think it's kind of like a, just taking the, the easiest path because the thing is people know to get to that level of success that they might be thinking about that might be, you know, quote unquote unattainable. They right. probably know that it's going to take work that he might just not want to put in. And so I guess right. by defaulting to thinking that it's impossible for them it kind of gives them an excuse or I guess a rationalization to never even try it in the first place. And, yeah. and I've seen that with a lot of people my age, you know, for different things, maybe not just even money, maybe just success in itself. Because once you kind of have something to where it's taken out of your hands to where you don't have to take responsibility for it, 
I guess that's easier on your conscience in some type of way to be able to, to blame it on something else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a term in psychology that's, it's called learned helplessness. And I don't think that this is necessarily the case of all young men who don't invest in any way. Oh yeah. Of, of course not. Yeah. But, but I think it is common among a lot of people um, to where if you have enough experiences growing up, for instance, where you try things and this doesn't work out or you, you know, you want opportunities that are closed off to you, you kind of learn that, you know, you just really can't, you're helpless. You learn that you can't really get anywhere and you don't try after a while. You just kind of accept your place in the world as being without hope, without help. Um, but it's a, it's kind of a, a psychological trick that your mind's playing on you. Right. So if any young men out there are listening and they feel like, well, you know, I could, but it's not going to work out, or I could try to invest, but it won't ever, I, it won't pan out for me. Or I could try to go after the girl of my dreams, but she'll never go after me. Like whatever it is, um, the chances of you getting where you want to go have nothing, has nothing, very little to do with your experiences before it has everything to do with the circumstances around that, that, that experience that you're, you're facing in the future. If that, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So whether or not you're going to invest successfully, it has to do with what you do from this point forward and how much you put away from this point forward, where whether or not you're going to get the girl of your dreams has everything to do with how you play your cards from this point forward. Um, not, not, not that stuff that happened before. Yeah. And to add to this, and I think this is like a piece of the equation that a lot of people miss too, when it comes to having those experiences where you're seeing yourself fail and it kind of uh, warps your perception of what your, your abilities are. I think one thing that would really help a lot of people to develop realistic expectations of what it takes to be successful is being around other people that can serve as examples. Because if you don't have somebody to look to, Love to that. show yeah. you that this is a normal part of the process, that, okay, it's likely that you're going to fail at this. I failed at it too. And look at where I am now. I think with that one portion of the, the pie missing, I think that's one of the things that gets to a lot of people too, because, you know, let's say somebody uh, decides that they want to go to a certain college or something like that, and they don't get in. That person might think, oh, I must not be smart enough to get into college, but they don't have someone else around them to tell them, hey, you may not get into this one, but this one is just as good or can get you to the same results, even though it may not be as prestigious. Just having someone that can kind of, talk in their ear and help them to, I guess, persevere in the face of that adversity, I guess you could say. I love that because, yeah, I think generally speaking, who you know has a huge influence in the decisions that you make. I mean, even just like, um, just through osmosis sometimes, just the way that people around you behave or act or the decisions they make, it's going to impact the decisions you make. Like, so here's a great statistic that I love to cite. There was, study, there was a study done that said that um, if, if you have friends that are obese, you are, I think it's like 30% more likely to also be obese. For, don't, don't quote me on the statistics, but you're much more likely to also be obese. If you know that people around you, your friends, if they all tell you they've gotten a, a flu shot, you're 10% more likely to get a flu shot. So it's not just the people who you know, but what they're communicating with you or to you has a lot to do with the choices, the options you think are available, the, um, the outcomes that you think are possible, the choices that you can make. Um, and so a lot of times when people come to me and ask me for help for, for anything like, how do I quit smoking marijuana to how do I lose weight? 
to how do I get a better job? And I really start talking to them about their lives. I realized that the number one thing that they could really, really do is just change their friends. Like just, if you really want that, that change, be around people who are doing what you want to do. You are good enough. And if you aren't, then, you know, you'll, that'll prove itself out. If you, once you, once you try, but 99% of the time, there's no reason to believe why you can't fall into friendships or be around people who can give you the information that you need to know about how to get that great job or not to give up when you don't get into college or how to quit that bad weed habit or whatever it is. Um, you know, find the people that you want to be like and just hang out with them and you'll be like them or you'll be much more likely to be like them. Yeah, I definitely think that's important too. And it's funny that you say it about uh, the friends that those people are around because I did an episode about this. It's one of my, uh, my monologue episodes that I do by myself and it's called build your championship team where it pretty much talks about yeah. how your trajectory is going to be dependent on the people around you to a large degree. And so it kind of touches on that same thing where I use sports analogies because I'm a sports fan, but yeah. I say, if you want to win a super bowl or an NBA championship, you can't have a hockey team, or, <clears throat> excuse me. You can't have a hockey team around you. That's competing for a Stanley cup. You know, it's, it's a goal, right. but it's a completely different right. goal. And also right. to add on the other thing that you said about, uh, you know, how they might still fail even after getting the network. The thing about it is that uh, there are plenty of times where people may not hit a certain goal that they set for themselves, but it led to other opportunities to, I guess, to kind of stay on sports, Eric Spolstra, the guy that's the head coach for the Miami heat right now, he had a goal to play in the NBA. Uh, I don't think it materialized. He played in college, but that was pretty much it. But even though he didn't get to that level of being an NBA basketball player, he is one of the best coaches in the league. So he still found right. a way to go on the same path and find somewhere where he fit in. And so people kind of look at failure as if it's just like this jump off a cliff to where, oh, now you're just, you know, falling to your doom and you're, you're just never going to amount to anything again. But the thing is, it's rare that like any effort that you put in just amounts to nothing, even if that top goal that you have set for yourself isn't what you meet. I just wanted to make sure I brought that up too. Oh, 100% agree with that. I 100% agree with that. You should, you're, you're natural decision science person. I mean, you're very, <laughs> <laughs> but like um, if you, I have a, a website, it's called yournextdecision.com. And I have a, a paper or an article on that site that you can download. And it is all about just how, Decisions that you make right now aren't just stuck in time. Every choice you make, it's like a tree. It's like a, if you imagine a cat climbing a tree, every choice that cat makes as far as what branch it goes up presents to that cat a completely different set of other branches that that cat could climb up. And your life is the same way. Whatever choices you make today, it's not just about like, should I take this job or not? Should I try to get this go to college or not? Should I, it's, it's about like, if I were to try, if I were to go down that path, what other options would be available for me? And we don't think that far ahead. We just think about, you're right. You're absolutely right. Do we, do I succeed or fail? And is that going to help me decide what to do when really what doors might it open up? Because each decision you make can make the difference between going down a path on that tree, climbing up that tree and seeing a really great view or climbing on a bad branch that falls and makes you fall to the ground, right? Like right. It, it's all about those opportunities that open up for you. And, and you, you know, you can make all the right moves. You can make all the right choices, do all the right things, play all your cards right. And things could still totally fall apart because 
surprise, surprise, life is not 100% in your control. Like, you know, there are so many things, like COVID is a great example. It, there are so many things that you can plan to do, start a business, you know, and COVID could come along and kill it and it has nothing to do with you. Um, want to date a particular woman, she, you know, she just happens to fall in love with some jerk because she's not a really great judge of character and that has nothing to do with you. You know what I mean? So a lot of time we see failures as like, as, as, a, as, a, as a reflection of us, but it's just an, life's just an experiment. You just, you have to go out and try. And if it, the best you can do is not succeed, that's not the goal. The goal is to set yourself up for the best chances at succeeding. What are the best chances that you're going to give yourself? Cause that's what you deserve. You deserve the best chance to succeed right. at whatever you want to do. Okay. Okay. And so to kind of tie into the first topic that we had touched on with managing money, mm-hmm. what would you say is, um, I guess the best chance somebody could get themselves to succeed being a young guy coming out of school, like what would you say are some of the best decisions or maybe like one single decision that you would tell them to focus on when it comes to setting themselves up for financial success? Save, like just save. Because if you blow all your money, the paycheck to paycheck, buy nice things that you don't need, you are closing yourself off from the opportunity to, to do more with that money down the road. If you have a, you know, a good chunk of change and you d- decide to buy, oh, I don't know, something like a designer suit or something like that, um, that may or may not, you know, maybe you're going to wear it to the club and that's it. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody wears suits to the club, but you know what I mean, right? Like you just right. buy that thing. Oops, my earrings off. Okay. You buy that thing. <laughs> um, you go to the, I thought it did. You, um, that, that doesn't really have a long-term return on it. Um, but if you save, over the course of a few years, you could have so much money that could grow even more. You Suddenly you have possibilities. Now you can say to yourself, all right, I can invest in the stock market. Maybe I could put some down, a down payment on a, on, a, on a home. And I have a little extra to play with crypto because I just want to see what happens. Suddenly you have these options and those options can, can yield more returns that give you more options. Like, wow, I can retire at 55. I don't have to work till 65. That's once you save, once you have more, and once that money grows and grows for you, you have more opportunity, more possibility. You're setting yourself up for a better chance at life. Um, And that is where I think a lot of younger people don't really focus their attention because they're focusing on what they can have in the short term and they undervalue what they can have in the long term. In behavioral economics, it's called delayed discounting. Whatever you, whatever rewards are delayed for you that come five years, 10 years, even 10 days down the road, they don't in our brains, they don't seem as valuable as what we can get right now. But that's another way our brain plays tricks on us and forces us to make bad decisions. We just have to override that and remember, wow, if I had I could buy these expensive pair of shoes or this really you know, $100 t-shirt today, or I could buy like a yacht in 20 years. Like, what do I really want? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I get what you're saying. And I guess just to touch on that with one more question, I would ask, what would you recommend as like a percentage for them to save? Um, that is something I think Tony would best answer. Um, and I think there are formulas out there and that's where I'm not in it. And I'm not an expert on investing. I'm an expert on decision-making. So I can't answer that, but I would highly recommend you look at my, our book money off the table. There are some tips in there. 
Um, I tend to, my formula is, this is just my personal decision-making here, is to lay out, and this is, I you know worked with um, my advisor on this, you just lay out your expenses and you try to minimize your expenses to the best of your ability. So if you are spending on um, a gym membership you never use, then maybe you want to let that go. Or if you, you know, you're spending too much on electricity, maybe you want to turn some lights off once in a while, but you try to like minimize to the level of your comfort and, and then just see what start with that. Because a lot of people don't even know how much they're spending every month. They don't really even look at what is being wasted in their spending and what's not being wasted. Um, and then whatever else I have, I put, I put about, oh, I don't know about like maybe 20, 30% in my savings account, the rest I'll try to invest and, and then just constantly adjust as I go from there. Okay. So I guess they have a good place to start then. They at least know that uh, saving needs to be on the radar and that they need to kind of lay yeah. out their expenses and see what their options are for saving pretty much. And if right. there really isn't anything left significant to save, then they know they have another problem, a spending problem. Exactly. And from there, they kind of have to adjust looking through their account, seeing if they need to cut out that gym membership uh, or whatever other subscriptions whatever. that they might have, right? Or they might have an earning problem. Like maybe they're they're undervaluing themselves and they're they're working in a minimum wage job when they could they could be excelling. You know, you could go to night school and you know get a technical degree and become a develop. I mean, maybe you could do that and earn more so you can save more. But I think a lot of people don't think that way. I think they just sort of accept what's in front of them and, and are fine with whatever short-term rewards they get from their decisions without thinking about the what ifs, like it could, how, how it could be better. Hmm. That's actually a really good point because, you know, most people, or I guess, you know, most financial advice that you'll see uh, on YouTube or whatever else, it kind of looks at it from the perspective that the person's even making enough money to even really save anything in the first place. Right. And so, yeah, bottom line is that if you're a single guy making, you know, 30K a year or something like that, there's not going to be a whole lot to save, especially if you're independent living alone, you know, right. you're pretty much living borderline at that point. So that's definitely a good thing to consider. And so, yeah, just to, um, I guess, just to make sure that we don't stay too much on one topic, I'd also like to hop into something else too, yeah, that I it. think a lot of, not even just young people, people in general struggle with, and it's time management, procrastination. I can even speak from a personal experience all throughout college. I might have like a, an exam coming up in two weeks. And I remember thinking, okay, I have plenty of time to work on that. But then two weeks turns into one week. And then one week turns into three days. And it's like, okay, you know, I probably need to do something. So that's definitely something that has led to not only me getting grades in school that I definitely was not happy with, but also missing out on some opportunities along the road too. And so what are your thoughts on that? What are some of the um, things that you hear from the people you talk to when you're consulting about that? Right. So this again goes back to like behavioral um, sciences and just like the psychology of of forecasting, really, which is a key component of decision making, is being able to like predict certain things, like predict the outcomes of things. And one things that that one thing that we tend to predict poorly is how long it's going to take to do something. And it's not, um, it's not a flaw of any particular individual. So it's not like you have this problem of time management. It's that human beings, their brains are wired to not to be optimistic 
about how long it takes to do something. And this is, it's called optimism bias, like where we are a little, we're wired as human beings to kind of be more optimistic than, than what's rational about our capabilities. Like right. we think we can do better than what we actually can do. And I think it keeps us going as human beings. It keeps us pushing, right? If we think we can do it, then we'll probably try to do it. But when it comes to planning, and this is um, the term for, for this flaw or bias in, in when it comes to planning or managing time, it's called the planning fallacy. It's the problem is that we overestimate our ability to perform a certain task in a short amount of time. Like we really think it's only going to take us three hours to write that paper. And no matter how many times, no matter how many times we've written a college paper and it's taken us 20 hours, we're still going to think it's only going to take us three hours. And that's just how our brains are wired. So it's, again, a, we have to kind of override our natural tendencies and just assume like whatever you think it's going to take, just multiply it by like three or four and just assume that just start there. Right. Try not to be too optimistic. Okay. And you know, the funny thing about that, uh, this may be the same case for other people, but I know it's definitely the case for me. But you talked about that optimism, thinking that it will only take us this amount of time to do whatever the task is. It's kind of funny to me how it seems that I get more and more optimistic about the things that I don't want to do than the things I actually would want to do. And, you know, there's other things that you'll kind of do as a substitute within those times you're supposed to be working on whatever it is. So that's pretty interesting to me how the thing that you don't want to do the most that's what you're the most optimistic about, I guess, quote unquote, about getting done later down the road. That's so interesting. Um, like, do you mind giving me an example? Yeah. So I remember one of the biggest problems I had with this was my senior year mm -hmm. for this uh, accounting class that I was taking fall semester. And I hated the class. Uh, I couldn't stand it. And I was bad at accounting. Like, I guess not bad, you know, because I passed and everything, but I was okay I was getting B's and C's in accounting. So it's not like I was stellar at it or something like that. But you would think that this one class where I was having the most struggles, I would be, you know, I guess not eager, but I'll be more pushed to study and work on that one subject. But the thing is, I guess, since it's kind of going, it's that thing you talked about, not wanting to do it kind of made it to where I would keep pushing it off and getting optimistic about, hey, I can, I can figure it out in a week. I can figure it out in three days. <laughs> And of course you get the same result. And it's weird because the thing is in the back of your mind, you know, you're making the wrong decision because especially if it's not the first time that it's happened, but something about it, especially with those things that you really hate to do. Yeah. It's kind of like you just disregard that. And sometimes you just never learn your lesson. I mean, eventually I did, of course, you know, I had to, and then with other things too, where you just have to have that discipline and that, that strong why to go ahead and knock it out. But that was something that was just, just interesting to me. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense actually because you want it's 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 weird how badly we believe what we want to believe. Like we all, it's almost like we live in fantasy world sometimes. Like, oh yeah, I suck at accounting. I hate accounting, but I can knock this out anyway. Like it's a fantasy. But because we want it so bad, because it feels so bad to 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 think anything else. We just hang on to that fantasy. I think a lot of our decisions is really, it, a lot of our decision-making is really more about managing our emotions than it is about doing the right thing. And I think that's a really important lesson for any young man or woman to really recognize is that you're probably gonna be 
your, your, your tendency will probably be to make the choices that are going to feel good rather than the ones that are actually going to make you good. Yeah. You know, the emotional portion of it, I guess that definitely does make sense. And I kind of, I guess it kind of answers that, that question, you know, to the, the whole thing we we're talking about to try and figure it out. Because, uh, you know, one thing I will say is that, of course, as I got older, and then especially once I started working, the emotional component, I guess you could say I got better at taking it out of it and getting into that, I guess, responsible adult mode where I say it doesn't really matter how I feel about this. This needs to be done. And so I guess with you being like a decision science specialist, what are some tips that you give for people who might be in that same boat where they know that there's something they need to do, but I guess not having that emotional control or that discipline in the back of their mind, not listening to that voice, talking to them is force, not forcing them, but motivating them to make some bad decisions. What tips would you give to help? So like for like doing things that they don't really enjoy doing or that don't feel good or don't, they don't want to do. Uh, sure. Do Is that what you mean? Sure. Yeah. We, we could go with that. Um, so the, what gets overwhelming is well, what becomes a problem is when things get overwhelming. So if a decision is, is too complex or emotionally not comfortable, um, if there's too much information involved in just making a choice or in, you know, doing something, then we tend to kind of not want to do it. It, we kind of defer the choice or we defer the action. We put it off. And I think the best way to overcome that, there are a couple ways to overcome that. Um, one is, is a trick that um, it's kind of like a hack where you put a time constraint on it. Like if you had only an hour to do that project or fix your car or write a paper or whatever it is that you hate doing, if you only had an hour to do it, what would you, what would you do to get it done? And then you start to simplify the things simplify the task down to the things that matter and then everything else that doesn't. And it doesn't mean you should actually do it in an hour, but it helps you identify the things that matter and getting it really done that right. get you most of the way there. And then you can prioritize like, oh, okay, I didn't realize. Now I realize like the first thing, the only thing, the most important thing I need to do in order to write this paper is really first read this book. And so, you know, you start to kind of breaking up, break it up into to pieces. And, and that's the other part of it, making it manageable. Just hmm. making it not overwhelming, breaking it, break it up into little parts. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I'm kind of thinking back on the processes that I used and it makes sense because while I never did actually look up, okay, how to stop being lazy, how to stop procrastinating for accounting. Some of the, the methods, I guess you could say that I used when I started to like really buckle down is for one, putting it in my Google calendar. And so if I knew that I needed to study for at least two hours on this specific day, mm -hmm. I would have it blocked out, let's say from three to five, where mm -hmm. I need to do accounting work. And I knew that if I just had do accounting on my calendar, I would kind of probably just sit there and look at my review packets and my notes and not really know where to start. And so right. the thing that you mentioned, also breaking it down into small little pieces, it makes it seem like it's much more easy yeah. to attack. And that was one of the things that, you know, it just happens to turn out that I, that I was able to do to help with that, where let's say if the test coming up uh, this Friday is a, uh, is chapter is five through eight, I would say, okay, on this day, I'm just going to go over chapter five. And if I feel like I have a thorough understanding of that, or I at least made some good progress on it with the practice problems, whatever else. Okay. 
I'll touch on chapter six a little bit. So that way I won't have too much work the next day when I'm supposed to work on chapter six. So I think that's really great that you brought that up about most of the time, whenever you don't want to go into something, it's because it seems like this huge right. burdensome thing. And it definitely did seem like that because like I said, it was, it was tough for me and I definitely did not want to do it, but breaking it up into a chapter or something like that made it a lot more manageable. And like, totally. yeah. And one more thing too. And it reminded me of it when you were saying anything about time too, but I guess it's not, I guess, directly related to what you're saying, but also I think it's this thing called the five second rule or something like that, where when you don't want to do something, I think like they say they like you start doing it for like five seconds or whatever. And then if you have the urge to not do it anymore afterwards, five second, five minutes, something like that, you might know what I'm talking about, but I've never heard of that now. Okay. I don't know what that five second rule to me is like, you know, like the thing with food on the ground and you have, yeah, you can still eat it, which apparently is a total myth. Like just so eat it if you want, but you're going to get, you know, some, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now that I think about it. I've never heard of that. Yeah. So I guess the science behind it's probably not five seconds, it's probably five minutes or a minute. But the science behind it is that the hardest part is actually sitting down and yeah. really opening the book or whatever it is or the laptop and doing it. And so what they say is that once you start doing it, it gets to that point to where you don't really have that mental block or that wall in your head anymore. And you kind of start to think, you know, I guess it's not that bad. I'm already, I'm already here totally. doing it. And so after you do it for like that time period, it's like, well, I might as well just keep going instead of stopping after the minute or five minutes, whatever it is. I don't know what the exact name of the rule is, but. Totally. I tell my clients this a lot. Like you can decide by thinking or you can decide by doing. And I think sometimes we feel like we have to make a choice by sitting and, okay, what do I do? You know, should I do? But sometimes if you're just, if you don't, if you just do it, (laughs) you can always I mean, if it's reversible, some choices are not reversible. Like, should I shoot up heroin? But that's yeah, not that's a, definitely you know, not reversible. Reverse that. Um, but if it's accounting, or if it's a project, or if it's you know, again, like again, like dating is a great example. Like reaching out to somebody, talking to somebody. Like you don't have to sit there and ask yourself a million, you know, for a million hours. Like, what should I say? Should I say it? Say something. And in the doing of it, you can decide what needs to be done because you are in the moment. And it's a really powerful um, mindset to know that you have you have the capacity to figure it out as you go along. Like you do have that capacity to figure out things as you go along. So once you start, if the accounting studying isn't going well, you can figure out how to adjust to make it work. If you're talking to that girl of your dreams and it's not going well, you can figure out how to make it work. Like you, ha- we are adaptable. We are intelligent. All of us, we can figure out how to make it work as we're doing it. We can make those decisions, micro decisions as we're doing things. Um, we don't have to like plan all the time. Okay. Okay. And so, yeah, I'm glad that we touched on this. I think that's something really valuable that we probably helped a lot of people with when it comes to maybe finding ways to do those things that they know are in their best interest, but uh, won't do. And so you kind of brought up the example of like talking to women and all that a few times. And so I think that's something we could touch on too, because I think it also kind of ties into uh, bad habits that I think a lot of guys suffer from. And to kind of get some context on that, you know, just based on from what I know from my personal experience and also from seeing friends and, you know, just in the culture in general, is that I think one of the mistakes that a lot of guys make, especially like in their younger years, is spending a lot of that that prime time or that prime energy, I guess you can say, 
chasing the attention of women and doing it kind of in the wrong ways. And so that would probably be an interesting conversation to kind of talk about. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I kind of, I, you know what, I, I've been friends with a lot of men, like platonic friends, and they always, you know, how guys are when they get that, the one girlfriend who can give them the inside scoop on women and like, what do women, and so I've, I've talked to a lot of guys about dating and I still don't understand a lot of why, why guys make the choices they make. Um, What are are some of those choices that, that come to mind? Um, well, one of the, well, and I think it's, it's a similar kind of phenomenon. If I had to, if I had to really guess, um, I think there's a lot of bandwagoning going on a lot of like, if the majority of your friends thinks, think a particular type of woman is ideal or is hot or whatever, she's, she's the kind of woman you should go after you. It's, it's really not top of mind to question that. Right. I don't think a lot of guys stop and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're at the, we're at the club. Everyone's checking out her. They all think she's hot. She's hot, but they don't stop to think about, well, is she the right, is she what I really want? Like, is it, is it hot for me? Or, um, is this, what am I even after? Like, am I trying to get, am I looking for a hookup? Am I looking for a girlfriend? I think people, it's just a lot of herd behavior that goes on. Women do the exact same thing. It's not just a guy thing. It's like, that guy's hot. Now we're going to compete for him. You know, we're not going to stop to think about whether he's going to be a great husband or whatever. We're just going to go for it because everyone's going for it. Like, it's like a herd, like a stampede, like, okay, let's do it. Um, And I think there's, there's gotta be some time and energy spent slowing down and asking yourself, what do you really want? And who are you? And even questions like, am I even monogamous? Am I looking for that? Um, do I want someone that I can talk to or do I really just want sex? Like, um, do, I, um, do I want somebody I can enjoy hobbies with or do I just want somebody I can watch TV with? Like just even asking yourself who you are and what you want and then making choices to get you there. Because sometimes the women that you're taught, we're all taught are the coveted prize and the same with men, like the hottest guy with all the money, 95% of the time is not the guy who's gonna give you the stable, loving, caring relationship that you want, right? But we don't slow down to ask ourselves that. And I don't think men do that either. But I don't know, I'm not a dude. So you tell me right. what you, if that makes uh, So I'll offer my perspective on it. Yeah. And so that first part that you brought up about guys kind of having that hurt mentality where if they see all their friends interested in one girl, that's the one they'll be interested in too. So I think the dynamic is a little bit different on the guy side. On the girl side, I would probably say that might be more of a thing because, you know, like if a guy has like status, you know, whatever his field is, wherever area he might be, I think that can make it to where he might have, you know, groups of women that kind of take that hurt mentality and attract and are attracted to him because if they see other uh women attracted to that guy they think oh he must you know be someone that brings something to the table i, I wonder what what it is about him and that will probably make them draw their attention to him too and so on the guy side i can see what you're saying about you know guys not being uh maybe let's say intentional about what exactly they want to get but i think when it comes to like the attraction piece of it i think in that aspect guys kind of just are attracted to who they're attracted to 
But the part mm -hmm. that I, whether or not like, you know, your friends think she's hot or not, because, you know, if, if you just like her, you like her. But the thing that I definitely do agree with you on, though, is the part where guys may not be intentional or have a plan about what it is that they want to get. And so to kind of dive into that a little bit, you know, you might be at the club or something like that. Same thing I was talking about, you're looking for female attention in, in the wrong ways and in the wrong places, going to a club to go find women. But you see her and you see that she's attractive. And, you know, let's most of the time when guys talk and you ask, hey, would you talk to her? Would you date her or something? Most of the time, guys just kind of making that that decision or answering that question based off of looks. But you're right. Most yeah. of the time, guys never do actually look at the person and say, hmm, I wonder if this person is actually compatible. I wonder if they actually want what I want. I wonder if this person actually has the traits that are needed to fulfill the role that I want them to fulfill in my life if that makes sense. And I think that's where a lot of guys end up going wrong. So you kind of see what I'm saying where, uh, how I think even while the, uh, the preference thing might be a little bit different, I think that you're right on, on par with like the intention part where a lot of guys may not actually have a plan or something that they're looking for. It's a qualified partner. She just pretty much has to be hot and that works for them. And then when it blows up later, they don't really know why. Okay, I'm gonna play devil's advocate. I'm gonna play, I'm gonna push back a little bit because okay. I have I have been out to bars and clubs in my younger years with my guy friends. Mm -hmm. And invariably, like they and guys will always say this. They'll always say, Yeah, I'm attracted to, I'm attracted to. But I I will be at a bar and I'll see all these women, right? Like right. all these women. And objectively, rationally, they're all attractive in their own way. But then there's one, not one woman, but one type of woman that all the guys are just like, they're paying attention to. And sometimes these guys will hook up with these women and these women turned out personality wise, not be attractive at all. And they could have had much better luck if they were kind of maybe not going after that type of woman. So I kind of wonder whether I'm asking you cause you're the guy, but right. if, if there's this assumption that, hey, I'm, I have agency, I am being objective and I'm really actually choosing a woman I'm attracted to, when maybe what's happening under the radar is I'm going after the woman that I know society has told me is attractive. And I wonder, like, I wonder if that's really what's going on and men and women are just convincing themselves, oh yeah, I'm, I'm just choosing what I want. Um, because men are the same way. So many different types of men, so all attractive in their own ways, but then everybody wants Brad Pitt, what, you know, like. <laughs> oh, you know? so I, I think what, um, just to clarify, to make sure I understand what you're asking, uh, are you saying it like from like a, a beauty standard standpoint to where like guys see like certain features or something like that and that's what they pin as attractive? Yeah, or dress or, um, or just, yeah, a certain kind of look that seems to get more attention than other types for a lot of, I don't know, I don't know. But I just noticed that maybe the friends that I had at the time were just dogs, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> just, I don't you know. never know, it, it could have potentially been that, but I'm just thinking, but, from, uh, yeah. thinking from my experience and trying to be objective. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm they might. expert. Oh, no, no, it's understandable. Just thinking from my experience. So we, the times that I, like, I've been to like bars and clubs with friends, there might be a woman that we all see and think is attractive. Uh, but 
I don't think that, or how do I put it? I don't think that it's because um, it's like pressure or like societal expectations, you know, that, that make her attractive. She might just be, you know, I guess on like the look scale, a, a 10 out of 10, you know, for what you would be looking for. And right. I don't know, I guess maybe that can kind of play into what you're saying, where if you, if like the way that you measure that is by like certain standards, but I mean, in my experience, I've seen women in, you know, multiple different shapes, the way they dress and all that, that could be, I guess, just by looks, a 10 out of 10 on the scale. And so that's yeah. just kind of the way I look at it. I, I don't think there's ever been like a specific type where I put them in a box and said, okay, this is like the pinnacle. This is like what I'm looking for. If she was attractive to me, I just thought she was attractive. I get you there. I bet there's variation among men too. I bet some guys um, are very well could be. And also maybe it could be a cultural thing too. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to generalize, but, but yeah, one thing I do know is for sure is that, and I, you know, even in older, among older, not just younger men and women, not just younger people, but like, even in my age group, I have experienced or seen people dating and not knowing what they're looking for or thinking they know what they're looking for. Um, like, oh, I want a guy that has a lot of tattoos. Like, how is that going to enrich your life? You know, I just want to ask, like, how is that going? How is he, how does, how is that an indicator of someone who is a good communicator or, you know, so I don't think we really slow down and ask ourselves what, what, do we really think is valuable or important? Like communication, trust, all these things. Like, how do we know if this other person is a good communicator? Is it because he has good hair or nice car or because he will actually look in my eyes and pay attention to what I'm saying? And we don't really look for those cues. You know, it kind of sounds like, um, and maybe it's a, an American thing or like a, a Western culture thing, but it sounds like we have an objectification problem yeah. what people are, you know, basing their criteria on is tattoos or height or a hair color or something like that. I mean, of course you want to pick people that you're attracted to, but to only limit your search criteria to people who fit into a certain like visual mold, if that makes sense, I think it kind of sets you up for failure because if that's what your ideal is, and that's the most pressing thing that's on your mind, for a partner and it's someone that you're looking for long-term, you know, you're definitely screwed. In that yeah. case, if your only criteria for a long-term partner was, let's say six foot tattoos, uh, all that. And so yeah. I, that's what I think the problem is most likely an objectification problem where we're looking at the person, but we're not actually trying to get an idea of who the person is and if it's actually a fit. And I guess you could say that's on both sides with guys, you know, looking at women for like, you know, purely physical and kind of choosing partners in that way. And then, right. you know, maybe some women doing the same thing or, you know, for your know, lifestyle. You know, this reminds me, there's a behavioral economics concept called, um, it's, it's called using substitute, we use substitution questions. It's a substitution question issue. We like to make choices very quickly. Our brains are very efficient. We, we don't, it's not natural for us to slow down and do research and gather evidence or information that we don't have. We just assume we have to move fast. We have to make a decision. And we, because we don't, we, it need, we need time to really know somebody. So instead of looking for traits that take time and energy to like uncover, 
we substitute with other things. Like, so rather than say, I want someone who's really into um, like the same music I am and likes the same hobbies as I do, I might think, I want somebody who's got a lot of tattoos because I have a lot of tattoos and I like to go to see live music and I'm, you know, I smoke pot and I, I know that they would too because they're where they have tattoos too. And it's like a, it's like a, a signal or a symbol of something that you think is, is, is really going on under the surface, but you've really got to slow down because those, those external objective signals aren't always accurate, hmm. you know, and they're not, they're not going to really lead like just because somebody likes the same music as you doesn't mean that you're going to have a fulfilling relationship with them. Or um, maybe it's this, maybe people are identifying with the wrong things. Maybe they're, they're like identity base that they have in their mind is based on the wrong things, ex external things from what it sounds like. And so if your identity is based in, you know, like your political affiliation, your, uh, I guess maybe your tattoos, uh, right. your hobbies and things like that that's what your identity is based in that's who you think you are things that you know, aren't even fully in your control really then I can definitely see how it can make it tough and so I think the solution to that is potentially just knowing yourself better because as right. you start to you know I would say that definitely happens through personal development like what we talk about on the channel once you you know read the books and kind of develop that self-awareness to where you know there's different things about yourself where you may lack where your strengths may be and also from looking at your past relationships and current ones, relationships with family and friends, what you bring to the table and also what you need in return. I, I think that's what would probably lead to people eventually getting those better results, because that's when it gets to the point to where your identity is based on things that are internal and are fully right. within your control. And that's a much stronger way, I would think, to make those connections, because whenever you're finding if someone's going to be a good fit based on the internal stuff, like, I guess, let's say what your love language or um, your connection type or something like that. I think that's you what it's called or something. Yeah. And also, I think that's absolutely right as a first step and as a very important second step and probably last step is taking the time to know the other person. Like it always amazes me how someone could go on a how people I know go on first dates with someone and they're not disasters. They're just not you know, fire and they just don't go on a second date. And, and I, I always wonder, like, don't you want more information? Like you don't have enough information about this person to make a decision about whether there's a spark or chemistry, or if you have the right information, like the mood could have been wrong there. They could have had a bad day. Just, I think we don't take enough time to know people. And I think with online dating, it makes it so much harder because there's so many people. It's like a, it's like a catalog. You can just move on, you can right. just move on, but you never spend the time to really know anyone. And so you really don't ever find anyone unless you're lucky, I think. Kind of like shopping, I guess you can say. And that kind of plays to the thing we were saying before about like how we get into the habit of objectifying people, you know, looking for, you know, what they, what they bring to the table that you can see with the eye. And so, yeah, I think that that kind of reinforces that when you're on apps like Tinder, Bumble, Hinge, whatever else, where really... All you're looking at is the picture and you know right. you're swiping left swiping right whatever and then you may scroll down look at the bio or something like that but yeah, i definitely think that kind of plays into it too totally yeah yeah and so uh pretty much kind of getting short on time now and so there is just one more topic that i want to touch on before we closed out i guess and so the one that i really wanted to 
get your take on is, I guess it kind of plays to the other one, how we talked about people not living intentionally, not dating intentionally, mm-hmm. but, you know, just come, just putting that, I guess, on your total life, how people may not even live life with intention and purpose. And so how would you say that that's caused problems in the lives of maybe some of those people that you consult or maybe in your own, if you have personal experience, kind of just living in autopilot mode? Yeah, I think most of what we do is autopilot mode. Um, again, we are wired for efficiency, which means we want to get from point A to point B the fastest way possible. And sometimes the way to do that is to just do things the way we've always done it without having to slow down or think. And sometimes a lot of the time, getting to a better place requires slowing down and thinking. And that's the same as saying, what is my intention? What is my objective? What's my goal? And then how do I get there as opposed to just doing what I'm always doing? And so in life, we all do this. It's called inaction inertia and behavioral sciences, where if we've done something a certain way before, we're much more likely to continue doing it. Again, the same with like why we stay with someone in a relationship longer than we should, because we're already in the relationship with them. And we don't have an intention of having a good relationship. We just have the autopilot action of being in a relationship, or we don't have the intention of building a career. We're just in a job. So we're just going to do the job. Um, So it really just requires just, just slowing things down. And we don't take time out of our lives, I think, to I mean, how many of us take like an hour a week out of our lives to just stop and do nothing, but think about where do I want to go? What am I doing now? And am I getting there? We just don't, we just do, we just move, we just go. And I think a really important thing to do is is just stop and ask, like even journal it, write it out. Like, how do I see my life in five years? Where do I want to be? Is this going to get me there? Am I going to keep getting, am I, if I keep going this route, am I going to be there? Um, and right. that's where intent comes in. Okay. And yeah. I think it's interesting how you would think this would be, these would be some of the most important decisions that somebody would make, but the majority of people go their whole life without even doing it. I mean, you would think that it'd be common sense to sit down and think about how you want your life to go and kind of build a plan to move in a certain direction. But so many people really don't. They kind of just, I guess, roll with the punches, kind of take it as it comes, but then they wonder why at the end of it, they may not have gotten the results that they wanted. And I think that's, this is actually something that I made an episode about too, where a lot of people on their deathbed, they think back and they wish that they had done more or had lived a life more authentic to themselves. And I guess that comes from not doing what we're talking about now, which is actually taking the time to plan out your future. It's, It's really, sometimes it's just as simple as deciding to make a decision. It's not even what the decision is. Sometimes it's just a step before that. Like I'm going to decide to control the decision around my job or my relationship or whatever it is. And that choice to to have agency is, is a huge step. Yeah, I definitely agree. And so I guess that pretty much wraps it up. And so before we go ahead and close out the show, is there anything else that you like for the audience to know? whether it's, I guess, just content in general or about you? 
Yeah, yeah. So like I mentioned my our book, Money Off the Table, it's on Amazon. Um, my website, yournextdecision.com. Um, I have an advice column on that site. If you subscribe, you can send me a question and I can um, I'll pull it out of a group of questions and randomly select your question, hopefully, and give you advice on the website. And also, if you subscribe, I write um, letters to my subscribers on a regular basis with just different tips on how to apply decision science to live a better life, whether it's in relationships, career, anything. So check out yournextdecision.com and that's it. All right, great. And I'll make sure to have all of your links in the description of the episode on the YouTube channel and also on the podcast episode description. So that way they can find those. But um, other than that, thank you for coming on to the show. I appreciate it. It was really nice talking to you. I think we offered a lot of value to the listeners today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye.